right, let's do it. I just had to look up. Um, I love looking up like synonyms because my brain is bad sometimes, and I'm like, what's a synonym synonym for experienced? <laughs> <It's> stupid. <laughs> All right. Season. (laughs) All right. Hold on. Actually, that's good. That's a good one. That's better than the one I chose. (laughs) Now. All right. Thank you. Thesaurus.com slash Anne. Here we go. scientists we're seasoned bakers we're veteran moms but mostly we feel like we have no idea what the hell we're doing from the middle age mama studios in austin texas i'm hillary livingston butler and this show has everything today your hosts are diving into their psyches to figure out why we still sometimes feel like imposters i have no idea but i have no idea what i'm doing so joining me from the stick of butter studios in new brighton minnesota it's ann lenholm hi ann Hi, Hillary. I know everything. <laughs> well, I do tell my kids that. I'm like, well, remember, I know everything. And then Roy will be like, well, it's a billion times. And I'm like, hold on. <laughs> I know how to access everything. Um, from the Money Pit Studios in Detroit, Michigan. It's I just put, it's Meredith. You're like Madonna now. <laughs> it's me. I guess knowing how to access everything is how I pretend to oh. be good at stuff. Yeah. That's yeah. all you need to know is know how to do a good Google. Do a good, quick Google. I mean, mm-hmm. we'll get into it. But yes, that has been my trick uh, of work is doing a good, quick Google. And I have the answer. Um, okay. As usual, we'll do a small talk, mailbag, medium talk, tissue recommends, and how you can get involved with the show. Um, okay. I'm going to take us into small talk really quickly. Um, and it's just because this has happened sort of on top of each other. So... I I put it in as navigating the medical waters. Um, As we were talking previous, before the show started, I'm generally not, like, I say this, knock on wood, I don't get sick, like, super often. I'll have, like, one big sickness a year, and usually that's good. And whenever I've gone to the doctor, it's usually like, you're fine. You're a little overweight, though, but you're fine. Like, everything's all good. Uh So, I know. (laughs) I mean, whatever. Thanks. Um, (laughs) I remember when I was pregnant with Rory and they weighed me and they were like, you're kind of like exactly where we we want you to be at the end of this. And I was like 28 weeks pregnant. I'm like, well, okay, what am I supposed to do? Like starve yourself. (laughs) The baby can feed off the remains of whatever you've eaten previously. But anyway, so I went to the doctor. This is kind of a retread, but I went to the doctor for my annual. um, And they had... They usually do my mammogram there, but they're, I don't know, they're, I don't, their machine was down or something. And she was like, you're going to have to go through a new place. And it's right next door, but she was like, you're going to have to call and schedule it, which is kind of annoying because it was supposed to be all in one, but it had to be a separated thing. Okay, fine. Um, along at that same appointment, and this was in February, at that same appointment, I had just a blood draw just to see. And, um, okay, all good. And then <clears throat> I get a call next week or something and they were like um we got the results of your blood test everything's good except your um platelets are really are low and I was like okay and they said 
um, Dr. Iqbal wants you to go see like a blood doctor. And I was like, um, a hematologist. And I'm like, okay. And then they were just like, okay, bye. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Okay. I have a lot of questions. I have a lot of follow-up <laughs> questions. One, where do I find a hematologist? I mean, like I know where to find, I know how to, again, I know how to Google, but like, the What's correct good... hematologist. <laughs> they should have one? just referred in, you to one like, hematologist. Here's one you can go to. <laughs> go to. Well, so I had to message them, you know, on the whatever patient portal. Message them. They, get, you know, but it's always like kind of like a twelve hour delay. They give me a woman's name. This whole time, I'm like kind of free, freaking out. It's too strong of a word, but I'm like a little bit nervous because if you Google low platelets, oh no, it's which I know don't do it. But I'm like, what could it be? And so. You know, cancer, cancer. Well, of course, Mm -hmm. leukemia is like the one thing that's really scary. A lot of it is anemic. I went deep into like different kind of low platelet situations, but anemia was one. But I was like pretty sure I was anemic. But and and then I was like, well, then maybe I guess it's leukemia. Who knows? Maybe I have leukemia. So I kind of buried my head in the sand. And in fact, I did message (laughs) uh, my fellow co-host Meredith. And I was like. This is what it, I, I think I like self diagnosed myself by taking too much Advil because I had, like I said, I had sort of a foot injury and I'd been taking Advil to help with it. And you were like, I don't know. I mean, of course, Meredith's not going to like diagnose me over. Well, I'm not a doctor either. Face, I can't diagnose anyone messenger. anywhere. So I kind of put, buried my head in the sand. And then finally it was just like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, just go. It, it'll be better to get an answer than to like live in the fear. So um, I went to. I had an appointment for that doctor. In the meantime, I had gone to go get my mammogram. All was good and fine. It was actually, it was a really nice place. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. So the day I'm going to go to the doctor that as I had gotten an email, Texas oncologist, which really put me at ease. I was like, what? <laughs> Why am I going to an oncology center? But whatever. So as I'm that afternoon, I was going, I, had a, I get a call um, from, the I think it was my doctor or the place where I got my mammogram. Well, I had been chasing down. I hadn't heard about my mammogram. It had been like a couple of weeks, and they're usually I either get something in the mail or they let me know or whatever. Um, and I called them and I said, "What's going on?" And they were like, "Well, your old plate, your old mammogram. They haven't sent it to us yet." So, and I'm like, "It's been like three weeks." And they said, "Yeah, I know, but I, we just still don't have them." Okay, so then. They call, and then I, I'm kind of calling my doctor and the other. There's like three different places that I have to call to negotiate. And this is kind of what I'm saying. I'm frustrated with, even though this is all under the same umbrella, Ascension, Seton, it's all under the same, you know, medical umbrella. Like, nobody's talking to each other. So I'm sort of having to chase it down a little bit and poke them. And I'm not being rude. I'm just sort of like, I'm a little bit frustrated. I'm not going to yell at the, you know, receptionist that is calling me because, it's that's rude and it's not right to yell at them because whatever. Anyway. So I, the day that I was going to get to see the hematologist, finally my doctor calls and says, um, we weren't able to track down your previous mammogram. I'm like, okay. And she said, and we think we saw a little bit something that we're concerned about. So we want you to come back in. And I'm like, okay, so I'm going to the hematologist. And then now I have to go get it up like another mammogram. Since I had been through it before, I was a little bit sanguine about it. I was like, you know what, whatever, like just piled on, what can I do? So anyway, I went to the hematologist. Actually, she was lovely. And I have to say this oncology place and you know, it's, kind of a scary situation to be in if you're going to an oncologist um they were lovely there they were so nice and just like and it was really quick they got me in got me out the the hematologist did say to me 
you know, I know that it says Texas Oncology. This is just where I, you know, this I'm just wrapped up in this, but don't worry. Like, we don't think you have cancer or anything. And she looked at my blood results and she was like, honestly, everything is normal. You're a little bit low, but every um, uh, uh, clinic, pathology clinic has different, you know, guidelines, like their, their barriers or whatever, their high low is slightly different. She was like, ours is a little bit lower and you're just under that. And I said, okay, so why don't we just go ahead and test you? And then, um, the next day she was like, it's going to take about a week. And so I was like, all right, fine. So the next day I got one of those. It's so weird when you get those, like you have new results in your, um, Mm -hmm. and your, Mm -hmm. you know, my chart. And then you go in and it's like the doctor may or may not have reviewed this, but it's not like I'm going to wait until here. I'm going to go look at them. And it was like, everything was totally normal. So anyway, that was good. I was like, shwoo past that little hurdle. And then I go in, it just, I just have to say, like, I've gone through this before where I have to get the second mammogram. And this time I really went into it. It was last, it was this Monday. I went into it thinking like, I'm cool as a cucumber. I know how this works. It's going to be fine. And then Don't they know I have dense boobs? I know. Still, I'm like waiting in this room with my little shawl on and like surgical shorts because I forgot I was dumb and I wore a dress and they didn't have a full gown. So they gave me surgical shorts and I'm like sitting there waiting and so nervous, like shaking it like a leaf. I, you know, Aww. it's like, uh, and, and then they came in. They're like, oh, no, it's fine. I said, do I need to, like, get the ultrasound next? Just, should I just ask for that? Just, like, let's bypass this whole Michigas and do it. And she was like, nah, you can just get the regular one. And I was like, okay, well, anyway. Um, so it was all good news. It just is, it's just scary and it feels so isolating. Even though, you know, everybody's kind of going through it to some mm-hmm. degree it just is it's it's just scary and it I I always feel like I'm kind of generally generally in my 30s but this is when I really feel like I'm in my 40s <laughs> like I am in my 40s like and I know people who have had breast cancer that are my age or a little bit older and you're just like it could be me I could be next you know you never mm-hmm. know anyway so I mean I guess number one you just have to advocate for yourself constantly um and uh kind of be pushy a little bit I always expect people I I don't want to do the only thing this is maybe speaks ill of my job and I generally like my job okay but when I went in on Monday and I thought well if I get some bad news or if I have to get a biopsy or something at least I get to take the day off work (laughs) (laughs) bright side I know I know anyway it's it's all fine it's all good except my foot still kind of hurts but um it's just you know we're getting older. I'm due yeah, for my next are. mammogram in about a month, and I have mm. to. So this will be my second one, and I got that dense diagnosis the first time. So for this one, I have to do a different kind of like the, mammogram, like the ultrasound or like the 3D or something. The 3D, yeah, one. yeah. So I've never yeah. done that before, but it sounds like they just have to squish you for longer. So I'm really yeah. yeah. Honestly, it's all just a little. Put it on this shelf, and we'll squish it from this angle, and squish <laughs> it from that angle, and squish it from that angle. Exactly. It feels to me like when you um, go to the dentist and they put your that thing in your mouth that you have to hold in like a weird way, and it kind of like hurts your jaw because you're like for the uh, X-rays. Yeah. And they're like, hold still, and you're like, Ooh, but like you feel like it might drop out at any mm-hmm. moment, and it doesn't fit right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And you're drooling on yourself, and you're like, is this yes. okay? <laughs> Am I doing a good job? <laughs> I know, that's me. The lady's like, hold your breath. I'm like, okay. And I'm like, I will hold my breath until I fucking pass out. Like, just <laughs> let's get this done. <laughs> oh, and you should have seen me at the at the second mammogram. I was 
the loveliest person you have ever met ever in the history of being at that place. I want it like as if by everybody liking me that I would not have cancer. Like, I don't know why right. these things <laughs> correlate to each Only other. Only mean but... people. Okay. <laughs> I, yeah. like, I guess you use you every so weapon in, at your disposal. <laughs> How was your weekend? Oh, yeah. The weather was really good. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm cancer free. Well, now. I'm sorry that it was stressful for no, you. It's fine. It's fine. I mean, all's be... well that ends well, right? But yes. still, that doesn't mean that your body didn't experience that kind of I know. Stress. And I, mm-hmm. I, like, I could tell when I got home on Monday, I was just like, Ugh. like, I just want to mm-hmm. pass out right now. Yep. And yeah. and it's it's worth uh, remembering for those of us who don't advocate for ourselves so well that, you know, you need to make sure that they're paying attention to you and yeah. whatever. And, 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 you know what? There are some dumb people in medicine, too. Like, yeah. Oh, I yeah. A, I have a friend who's uh, on her second round of endometrial cancer, and it's, it's it doesn't look good. Let's Ugh. put it that way. She had it the first time a couple of years ago and now it's recurred and she had an episode where she was in so much pain they went to urgent care and then they sent her to the hospital and of course they take scans and to see how things are going and they're like oh my god your cancer has grown so much since your last she's in chemotherapy and so oh the chemotherapy is not working it turned out that the weekend radiology crew had pulled the wrong films oh like the comparison films were old from before her cancer no. reoccurred. So oh my God. the chemotherapy is actually shrinking the tumors. Yeah. So she spent like five days in the hospital thinking oh that she God. was about to go into hospice. Oh my God. Yeah. Yep. That's the thing is I think I just, I uh, assume people are like experts and they know, and you know, I think it's Okay to assume that somebody knows medicine better than I do since, you know, I have a bachelor's degree in political science, but I am a scientist, <laughs> a political scientist, but, um, but yeah, like you, you know, your body, you should be able to trust well. those people, but yeah, yeah. you gotta, you yeah. gotta get second opinions and advocate for yourself for sure. Yep. Yep. Ugh. Uh, I know. Awful. Good times. Good times. Well, medical waters wise, I did take yesterday off and did a dentist appointment and eye appointment and A plus is all around. Yay. Yay. Very proud of myself. Gold stars. My prescription, my eyes didn't get any worse. Wow. It's amazing. Like they've stayed the same for years now. Yeah. Mine have been really stable. And then they just stayed put. <laughs> Mine didn't do the Benjamin Button thing. They're it's just, weird. They're just bad. But they've been the same bad for the last ten years. I was just glad yeah. I didn't have. I mean, I got a new pair of sunglasses because I wanted to, not because I had to. So that was kind of nice that my prescription didn't change. Okay, mm-hmm. that's true. I haven't updated my glasses lenses as all because they're expensive. They are <laughs> like, expensive. It's, it's close enough. I don't wear them oh. anyway. I didn't get. I the last time I had gotten glasses before. I got him in like December was when I was pregnant with Rory and he's eight years old. And I was like, it's fine. I mean, really, I don't, I only use them if I have washed my face and taken my contacts out to, and I'm like, "Mm, I kind of want to watch TV now. And then I have to put my glasses on. And then like, sometimes I'd be like, what does that say? (laughs) 
I pretty much only wear glasses when I'm driving and I rarely drive at night. So I pretty much just wear prescription sunglasses. So that's what I get every year, basically. And when the prescription doesn't change, I can just keep the same like pair of glasses I've had for 10 years in my car. Just (laughs) keep them in there. Yep. The only time I wear my glasses is when I'm lying in bed at night. And I can feel a toenail that's scratching the sheets. And I'm like, oh, God, I don't have to get up and put my glasses on to find the nail clippers. It's a very specific situation. (laughs) I understand it. All right. Should we move on to the mailbag? Indeed. Let's get into mailbag. Uh, Last week, we were talking about retirement. And uh, we got an email from our friend Bob Stein. Uh, it's It's a thorough roadmap. Let's say that as I pull my window wider so that I can read the whole thing. I should have put some love you, Bob. terms in, in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so I will paraphrase this a little bit. Uh, dudes, I can hear Bob saying that, I, you totally. know. <laughs> As one of your retired listeners, uh, I meant that I am retired, not that I retired from listening to you. I thought I could reflect on my experience of going through the process and where I am now. As a young teacher, I remember older teachers telling me, you'll know when it's time, to which I always thought to myself, yeah, right, they're going to carry me out of here feet first. So around three years before I actually left teaching, I remember thinking to myself on several occasions, I can't do this anymore. I knew I could retire at age 60 and at least 30 years without penalty. So having 32 years in at age 60, I decided it was time. That's good. Um, So then he talks about preparing for retirement in researching volunteer opportunities and part-time jobs and um, and working at a local environmental education center. God, Bob, you're just such a good person. Stop it. Uh, finance, finances, I'm hesitant to mention this, lest I unleash the wrath of younger generations against us boomers again. But I live in a mid-Atlantic state with relatively decent teacher's salaries, at least when I retired in 2014, and have a pension uh, scrolling through the state. I also contributed to a 403B plan, but wish I had set it up sooner. That is in relatively stable investments um blah 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 so as i said i had the luck to be born into the generation to the generation i had the luck to be born into the generation okay uh he says now at age 68 i volunteer one day a week at a native plant botanical garden in delaware mount cuba center have some other volunteer activities that i'm involved in and take music lessons i spend a good chunk of spring into fall doing Man, I hate the scrolling. Doing garden slash landscape maintenance at our house. Do research for us on home improvement projects and travel possibilities and do a lot of cooking and all of the bread baking. Another fun hobby. I also do some research for my wife when she's in need of items. Man alive. I hate this. Uh, It's yeah, Uh, it gets it widens out so much. Yeah, I can't scroll anymore. Anyway, I think we get the gist of that, Bob. Anyway, he has some recommendations. Invest as much as you can in a 401k, 403b, annuity, or other safe financial instrument that you can reasonably assume will be there when you do eventually retire. That's the key. Yes. Uh, If you have no medical plan offered to you by a state or union, start doing some research on Medicare Advantage or Medicare Supplemental Plan that you can transition into when you are 65. Yeah, I think that's good. Um, and, and I three, might be able to fix it real quick. If... Okay. Ooh, 
look at that. Thank you. Uh, number three, we have not done this yet, and we probably should look even further out and look into advanced care insurance, retirement slash assisted living facilities, home care alternatives, or pooling your resources with friends and setting up a network where you could help each other out as you age. That's a really good suggestion because yes. I am going through this with an older relative uh, who, uh, not my mom, by the way, not my mom. I just have to say that. An older relative who is um, uh, not interested in looking into the realities of what their life is going to become very, very shortly. And in fact, it's becoming now. And that's just, I mean, you know, at some point, uh, those of us in the younger generation have to say, well, it's their decision. And if that means that they continue to live in a way that is dangerous and unsustainable and that means they fall down the stairs and die that's their decision (laughs) to do it but if you could maybe make some uh decisions before you get to that point that would be great yes yes yeah yeah and it's i mean it i try to think about that because i get frustrated like come on you're getting older like set stuff up but then it's like it probably is scary because you're like, I have to accept the fact that at some point I'm going to die. And that's just as, you know, and I had to prepare for that. And I know like theoretically I'm going to die, but you know, I seem, I feel far away from it despite my (laughs) cancer diagnosis. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, you need to get your mind right. And you, I don't know, you don't want to burden the people that are going to have to take care of you. You want to make it as easy as possible, but it is kind of a hard reality to get to, I think. My dad has that all set up in long-term care insurance and stuff. And I'm so glad that he's thinking about it now so that we don't have to try and figure it out for him. Yes. When we're already stressed about him being sick or dying. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I think think it's one of those things that just does seem so far in the future. And you're like, I'll get to it someday. There's plenty of time, right? Yep. Yep. But then there's not plenty of time. So Right. Uh, Then he has some additional advice. Keep physically active. Yes, Bob, but that's how you crash your bike and (laughs) have to have all kinds of surgery. Um, Two, eat healthy, but enjoy your food. Uh, Three, this occurs more naturally as you age, but paying less attention to what other people think of you and how you should be in the world is a great goal to strive for. That's one of our key principles of this show is Mm -hmm. people are not thinking about you as much as you think they are. No, they're literally Um, always thinking about themselves. Yep. Number four, give back to the world around you in some way. Volunteer, politics, faith, education, mentoring, etc. Good for your well-being in the world. And number five, don't just hang around people your age. Engage with others younger and older. Keeps your perspective fresh and you might be able to contribute something of yourself to them. Oh, you're so wise, Bob. You are. I know. Cool, Those like, are actually... go out and talk to people that I have a hard time with. <laughs> no, thank you. No, I'm good. Thanks so much, though. <laughs> <laughs> talk to young people. Ew. <laughs> Disgusting. Absolutely not. Um, but no. The problem is that young people don't want to talk to me. I know. I know. Sometimes I see the young people in my office and I'm like, am I one of you? And they're like, I mean, they're they're no. nice to me, but I can kind of feel yeah. the like, oh, like, you're older. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I know I'm older. I, I get those understand. vibes from my team, too. Yeah. Oh, my uh, my co-worker, generation. my co-worker who's 
around my age. He, we were talking and he was telling me this story. He said, if you want to make Abby, who's like our 24-year-old engineer, he's like, if you want to make Abby really happy, just go up to her sometime and ask her what it means when you talk about spilling the tea. He said, because I didn't know and I had to go ask her. And she got so happy. <laughs> and I was like, well, I know what it means. And you're like, I'm cool tea, enough Kevin. to know what that means. <laughs> Come on. But I think they do like that when you ask about yeah. their lingo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's spill the tea. Okay. Well, thank you, Bob. That was uh, very good and very thorough. And some of these I've done. But, you know, I just wish we we talked about this. I wish I had more money to invest. Mm -hmm. That would be super great. Yeah. Let's get that rental Uh, property. Let's start. Let's uh, flip those properties. Making that passive income. (laughs) Like they tell me about on the signboards next to the freeway exits. (laughs) Uh, Let's go to a little bit more retirement talk for your Facebook answers to our question of the week. What is your top tip for when you retire? Uh, Kalina says, spending more time with my cats. I mean kids. My kids. Kids. Definitely kids. <laughs> I love yep. uh, Jean comes with us from the perspective of experience. Been there, done that for 13 and a half years. <laughs> Not that you're counting the months or anything, <laughs> Jean. When you start talking about how long you've been retired, the same way you start talking about the age of your baby. <laughs> kind of over involved. I don't even think I ever told anyone I was 13 and a half years old. <laughs> uh, she says, after living in parsonages for nearly 30 years, we bought a large house in the Burbs and have since downsized to cozy ranch style with a lovely patio and backyard. Mm-hmm. Travel even with modest income has been glorious. You know, when you're tied to a church, that's got to be something that's tough for that long like uh when i was managing retail back in the day and i was hiring seasonal staff i hired somebody who had just graduated from lutheran seminary school and she was waiting for her first call to a congregation and we were discussing hours and i said so i'm assuming that you would like sunday mornings off and she says you know i'm coming to terms with the fact that soon I will go to church every Sunday morning for the rest of my life. So if you oh, want to wow. schedule me on Sunday mornings, <laughs> you can go ahead and do it. <laughs> wow. Yep. That's yep. good insight. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, getting back to Jean, we have visited family from D.C. to Cali to Seattle. We've had cruises and trips. In fact, I just recently took 19 and 20-year-old grandsons to SoCal. Roller coaster vacay. Cool grandma. I know. Totally. Mm. Yep. Uh, advice, save as much as you can. For the last three years of our employment as ministers, we threw money at our retirement savings and makes our lives so much better. <laughs> and then here's the real thing. Don't accumulate stuff. No mm. one wants your stuff. Good tip. <laughs> it really My is. My mom talks about that all the time. She's like, no, no, none, none of the people in your generation want our stuff anymore no like my mom has got i think three sets of silver which you know one was hers and then the other two she got from like you know grandmothers or yep whatever and she's like with them yeah she's like nobody wants these and like my grandma peterson's are like monogrammed with a p on them and everything so like this is stuff that meant so much to that generation i'm like Mm -hmm. i don't want it i don't even have real glasses I have blue bubble cups that I got for a dollar ninety nine at Arby's with purchase. 
They function no. as cups. Who cares? <laughs> I have, um, I didn't get like really like fine china mostly when I got married, mostly because my mom has so much of it. Like she has it from my, my dad was an only child or is an only child. So she kind of inherited like all of his family stuff. She has a lot of china. And she, from when she got married, I didn't get any crystal because I was like, why I don't, why, why do I need crystal? I did get silver. My grandmother gave me silver. It is, I do think it is beautiful. I love looking at it. Have I ever used it? No, I have not. I polished it, but I have never used it. It does have a B on it. So it's like, what am I, I mean, I guess I could give it to my kids, but I don't know if they want it. It sits like on a, on a high shelf away from everything. Like I'm always like, there it is over there. That's nice. I have some silver um, serving utensils that are yeah they're gorgeous but all i do is just polish them every once in a while because i'm like oh it's getting tarnished because i never I use them because when yep. am i going to use them i know i know I, I mean i don't know about you but i certainly don't have dinner parties at home no. and not like not that hosting anything my mom still like she gets out her uh china and her crystal for every holiday yeah just you know for for fun but um yeah my mom no they get up parties parties like that yeah stuff like that yeah like it's that's fun but i don't do that stuff and i don't see myself doing that stuff and i don't see my brothers ever doing that stuff so i don't know it's just a different way of living yeah so what do we do with all the silver guys (laughs) melt it down (laughs) i'm just kidding i guess Uh, uh, going back for uh, t- uh, what are you looking forward to most when you retire? Barb says the new job I'll have to have. Yay. Barb. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. Now, Barb. No. Not saying that Barb is wrong. No. Just no. injecting some realism to this conversation. Uh, Laura says pursuing passion project and traveling. Uh, April goes along with that. She says travel. I would love to have a tiny home. But not sure my spouse is on board with it. That's a requirement because that sounds like hell on earth to me. Sure does. I'm going to need to get away from you every Mm -hmm. once in a while. Uh, Andrea says sleeping in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I wish I could do that. I don't think I'll ever even do that when I'm retired. That's because you have cats. I know. And I probably always will. That's a a bed of nails of your own making. Yep. Right there. I do uh, tra- love, like, I don't, I can't really sleep in, sleep in, but I like to laze in my bed for a long time, like, not have to get up with a start. That makes me happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I agree. Just like a little gentler wake yes. up than yes. an alarm and go. Yep. Yep. Uh, Treasure is looking forward to deciding her own schedule. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Linda says, 10 years retired from teaching littles. I love the freedom. Good for you, Linda. Uh, Jennifer says, an utter lack of responsibility and traveling with flexibility. While we try to get away, even now, my spouse is a teacher, so we are beholden to the school schedules traveling at some of the busiest times of year. Yeah, Yeah, that sucks, Jennifer. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Anne says, Gen X gets to retire? I was not informed. (laughs) Uh, In all seriousness, I have never assumed I'd be able to retire, and my objective has generally to be been to find work I like doing. I do hope that at some point I will have to leave home fewer than six days a week. In any case, I intend to keep improving my skills as a maker. Um, well, and that's what you get from running your own stores. You got to yeah, six days a week or being your own boss. One of these days I want to go to her store. 
that's one of these times when I go to Seattle. I want to, I know it's a trek, but I want to go up there. Right. Well, unfortunately, I've started teaching myself how to crochet, so. Oh, shit. We're There's some competition. Go. I think we are. Oh, please. <laughs> um, and interesting, we had quite a few responses to that comment as well of yes. people in that similar age class being like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, Amanda says, I would like to be a snowbird. Winters in Mexico and summers in the Pacific Northwest. Just speaking my language. Yep, must be nice. Yeah. And Louise says, taking advantage of the free daily classes, speakers, and shows at the Smithsonian and the Kennedy Center. D.C. is a cool place to be retired. Yeah, I imagine so. You've got a, you got a ways to go, Anne Louise. Those, yeah. you, you gotta you got to bring those kids up first. They're yeah, still little. Youngins there. <laughs> yep. No, uh, that would be per- a fun place. Like a walkable place, I think, would be a fun place to yep. be. If, yep. As long as you're mobile still, I think it would be a fun place to go. Yep. Lane says, provided I develop the emotional fortitude, I'd like to be a hospice foster for dogs at the end of their lives and or adopt the seniors at the animal shelter that don't have a good chance of being adopted because of their age and or medical conditions. This is all (laughs) assuming late stage capitalism and climate change don't fully destroy (laughs) society by then. Uh, Meredith, I feel like that's you. Shrugging emoji. Yeah, Meredith takes the cats and Lane takes the dogs, and we're covered. We'll, we'll fix it, Lane. We'll do it together. Yep, that's good. I do not understand people who can foster animals and then let them go to someone else. That's, My sister's done it, and it, it's she says it's hard, but it's rewarding. Oh well, yeah. good for her. Yep, yep. Uh, Jack, the unretirable Jack Taylor. Like, Jack, haven't you retired like four times? Uh, He says, after 14-hour days all this week at the ballet, I'm looking forward to retirement where I will continue to research and publish information on the early days of Seattle theaters and the workers who got got the shows on and off the stages. I've planned. I've saved. I'm ready. Yeah, I believe it. I mean, I don't believe it, Jack. I don't believe you'll stay retired this time because you never do. Never. And finally, uh, one Gregory says, uninterrupted hobbying. I think that should say uninterrupted. <laughs> yeah, but I like uninterrupted better. <laughs> and as a man who has a lot of hobbies, he needs that uninterrupted time. He really does. <laughs> Stop interpreting me. I'm hobbying. Uh, well, thank you, guys. Like, I, w- I felt really unsatisfied by my answers last week when we were talking. Like, I don't know. Like, I want to play Stardew Valley is like a bad retirement no. plan. Right. I, I th- so like as I often do, not to take this to like a downer place because we are going to have a great time talking about imposter syndrome. Yes. But I think the reason that I have never been able to fully develop a plan or see myself in retirement is because I never actually have been able to envision getting there. Yeah. And that's not like a suicidal ideation. Although, um, but it's just like as someone with depression, it's like. 
all about getting through this day. Like when you're drowning in the ocean, you're not like, gee, next month when I'm not drowning, here's what I'm going to do. You know, I'm so focused on the immediate of can I make it through today? The idea of 20, 30, 40 years down the road is just not something I can grapple with right now. So thank you everybody for your thoughts on that and what you're looking forward to. And maybe I can develop some sort of understanding about what's going to come. Provided I actually do get there. Well, it's like our imposter syndrome about retirement. We're like, we don't know how to do this. (laughs) (laughs) Are we going to be good retirers? (laughs) I'm just going to copy. I'm just going to look back at this Facebook post and copy what other people are doing. I'm like, all right, I got it. This is what I'm doing. Travel. Yes. Tiny house. Yes. Volunteer. (laughs) Hobby house. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. Well, with that, let's move on to Medium Talk, speaking of imposter syndrome, which we have called Fake It Till You Make It, which was something we had on the reserve list that was in reference to something else entirely. (laughs) But then I was like, imposter syndrome. Yeah, we all have that. You know, is it it a good thing to have imposter syndrome? Because don't you think that people who don't have imposter syndrome have a false confidence yes, in what that's they are? The, that's my fear. I don't want to be one of those people who like thinks they know more than they do. So it's safer to just be like, ah, I know nothing. Well, because yep. like, I think that Trump thinks he knows everything. You know, I mean, at, mm-hmm. for example, or people kind of like these blowhards like them. He does think he knows. I don't think he has moments where he's like, you know. Like I was really you don't think like, all day. like late at night he's like he realizes what a stupid fraud he is <laughs> absolutely <He's>... not <laughs> no absolutely not and I think all of us are like trying to you know reject that at all costs but then you talk yourself down so much that you start being like what am I even doing here why am yeah. I at the table right now I think there's lots of people I... I'm not gonna say it's all men but I'm going to say it's lots of men. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, like internet investing bros who mm-hmm. just talk with this absolute confidence that uh, if you just follow what they say, you'll be a millionaire in mm-hmm. three years or whatever. Or I, you know, I don't know. But I, maybe we should back up a, a little bit. If we're talking about imposter syndrome, it's one of those phrases that I think has become a little squishy. Yeah. Over the years, because a lot of people use it without necessarily understanding what it means. Like mansplaining has gotten yes. to be a very squishy term because yes. now it seems just to mean a man who explains something in a condescending way. Yeah. Uh, where it originally was a man who explains something to a woman who understands it better than him. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, so I just looked up the definition of imposter syndrome on, on the, I don't know, this is Oxford Dictionary. Uh, the persistent inability to believe that one's success is deserved or has been legitimately achieved as a result of one one's own efforts or skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then I found this article from Glamour. I don't know if this is the one that you found, Meredith, that says there are five types of imposter syndrome. And so here's how to identify and challenge yours. And I thought, oh, that's interesting because... I did not realize there were different types of uh, imposter syndrome. So type one perfectionist. Uh, Perfectionism is often listed as a key indicator of imposter syndrome. Uh, So it's common that people who experience one also experience the other. Perfectionists typically set very high expectations for themselves. And even if they meet 99% of those goals, a small loss will feel like a large 
failure. When mistakes happen, perfectionists question their core competence, which can easily translate to feelings of imposter syndrome. Hello, Mm -hmm. I'm Anne. Nice to meet you. (laughs) Uh, Type two is the natural genius, has been on top of the class for as long as they can remember. And in their school days, success came relatively easily. As they grow and mature, however, they're bound to encounter scenarios where achievement doesn't present itself as second nature and hard work or struggle is required for the desired results. If As they aren't used to this, natural geniuses tend to suffer from imposter syndrome, feeling that the struggle to meet their goals is a sign they lack ability and aren't good enough. Hello, Hello. I'm Anne. Welcome to me in college. (laughs) Yes. That was what chemistry did to me. It was like, oh, you're not actually good at everything. (laughs) Nope. Uh, Number three, the rugged individualist. Does asking for help trigger your imposter syndrome? Do you struggle to see something as a success unless you've achieved it by yourself? You're most likely a rugged individualist. These kinds of imposters struggle to reach out when they need assistance as they feel getting help with a task invalidates their contribution or shows that their own skill set is in some way lacking. Hello, I'm (laughs) Anne. (laughs) I feel like that one I have lessened over time but yeah I struggle with it. for but sure for sure as for i sure. get older i'm like no i need fucking help please help me yep uh type four the expert if you're an expert type you probably prefer to spend time researching and gathering as much information as possible before you start a new project you like to come into something new from a position of knowledge and expertise and you probably regularly spend time looking for ways to improve your skill set or undergo extra training However, this drive to become an expert can trigger imposter syndrome, holding you back from applying for jobs if you don't meet all the criteria in the description or preventing you from speaking up in a seminar because you're afraid that your answer won't be perfectly informed. (laughs) Hello, it's me. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. And type five, the last type, superheroes push themselves to work harder than everyone around them to prove that they're not imposters. Their expectations for themselves are higher than their expectations for others, and they feel a sometimes overwhelming need to succeed in every element of their life at work and at home. Their feelings of imposter syndrome will be triggered when one of these areas is not as strong as the other. Working harder than others to prove your worthiness or to cover up feelings of being an imposter can quickly lead to burnout and be detrimental to your mental health. Hi. Hi, it's me again. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Guys, I have a problem. <laughs> I'm all five types. Sounds like you got all of them. <laughs> I'm in a bingo. real predicament here. <laughs> And wins. What do I win? What do I win? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so let's talk about this. Um, it's no secret already, five minutes into this conversation, that the three of us have some massive dose of imposter syndrome going on, probably in a number of different areas in our life. Mm-hmm. And I guess we're we're going to share a little bit and help each other and everybody else feel less alone. I mean, if three groovy, brilliant chicks like us can feel imposter syndrome, all of you, anybody. Why did I say groovy? I don't know. Um, Oh, I like it. I don't know. I was thinking about Kermit referring to Linda Ronstadt as that groovy girl singer or something on the Muppet Show. Uh, all right. Uh, so we picked out some examples. I don't know how specific they are uh, or or are not, but um, we'll just uh, we'll see. 
let's reassure each other. Maybe that's the way to go. A supportive, (laughs) nurturing, sharing group where we can say, no, no, you don't suck at that. So I guess, uh, Hillary, why don't you kick it off? All right. So I was, I, as we have covered several times, I grew up like in a very loving household where I was, you know, told that I was beautiful and smart all the time and kind of like what they said in one of the options, like I was pretty good at school. I wasn't the best, but I was good and it didn't, it came pretty easily to me. It was not, you know, it just wasn't that hard to me to do well in school and to study. I mean, I could study with the TV on with like 12 things going on at the same time and I could still make straight A's. It was not hard. Then I went to college. I did okay in college. I, I was definitely not as driven as I probably should have been, but I, I did fine and I fit in fine there. I was never the most popular person, but I always had friends. So I was like very comfortable in my skin um, as far as that goes. And then I remember, um, you know, I moved to the Bay Area and I was with friends and that was fine. And then I remember moving to LA and going out with some friends and listening to them talk. And it was as if they were speaking in a foreign language, they were not speaking in a foreign language, but it was like a foreign cool language that I was not aware of. Like, I don't, I can't even begin. They found things funny that I was like, why is that funny? I don't understand. Like, it just seemed like I had been dropped into an alien planet and I didn't get the jokes. I didn't get the inside jokes at all. And I remember really just like having to fake it so hard there. I, I never, I actually really did like LA and by the end, you know, felt like I fit in with my group of friends, but it was the first time that I just felt like I was in a totally foreign environment and I didn't know how to act. I didn't know how to act socially. And maybe that's because, you know, it like I had grown up in the South and I knew how to kind of navigate those waters, even though I wasn't like, like I said, super popular or anything. I knew how to sort of deal with it in Los Angeles, it was just like a whole different ballgame. People were from all over the place and they didn't have the same common references. I, I, I actually think it was good for me. It broke me out of my little bubble of existence. You know, it wasn't all white people. It wasn't, it just was so foreign to me. And I, I remember being so uncomfortable and just like, mimicking people like I would just kind of copying <laughs> what people said because I was like I don't. <laughs> yes I'm laughing like too hard at a joke that's like more of a light chuckle than a um lol and I I for the first year that I lived there I had a really good time it was fun but I felt uh, not at ease and when I'm not at ease you know, it just, that, that's what really spikes when I don't understand something. That's what really spikes my anxiety. I'm not an extremely anxious person. Um, and I don't get stressed out about like having a lot of work. I get stressed out about not understanding things and not just getting it. And it was the first time in my life that I was like, I don't get it. I don't get how to be social here. I don't know how to fit in. I don't understand any of it. And it's, it rocked my little baby world. And, you know, it was definitely at a time where I was 24 and, you know, you're just kind of growing into being a full fledged adult. And it, I just like, it felt like I had no net at that point. That was the first time I felt like I had no net and I had to figure it out on my own. Anyway, that was my, that was my initial. It's so interesting to hear you talk about that because you are a person that seems so socially comfortable all the time. To me, I can pretend in my own little like (laughs) stunted uh, creature with little tentacles, like 
creeping out from my shell. <laughs> like I'm like, oh my god, Hillary, she's just she's having a ball over there. Like, well, so you I seem think, so comfortable all the time. I think something that I have I've noticed I've noticed about myself is that I do project a certain amount of confidence that I don't necessarily always have, but I'm like largely faking it. Um, so then sometimes I get into situations where people don't explain the dynamics to me because they're like, she gets it right. Like she seems like she understands what's going on. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on right now. Like, can you explain this joke to me? Or can you explain why we're going here? Why we're parking here? Whatever. Just all of the logistics of everything. I remember the first time I went to Will's house for the anniversary, and everybody was sort of comfortable with each other. It was a crew of people. It was like, and you were there. Christy was there. Bobby was there and maybe like Barb or whatever. And I'm like, I don't, where am, <laughs> where am I right now? Who are these people? I like, I knew you and I knew Christy and Bobby. And I was like, I don't, I don't know who these people are. I don't know what's going on, but I just kind of like, welcome to, to the inner sanctum <laughs> no. and I just of podcast like... <laughs> nerdery. <laughs> but those are times where I'm like, I don't get the jokes. I don't know what's going on. And then, you know, you scratch a little bit and nobody really knows what's going on. And they're just like, They've just had experiences together, so that's what they're you know calling upon. But I think I have developed the habit of being able to fake it, and I am, to a sad degree, good at small talk. So I um, can fake the funk a little bit, but yeah, I it's a lot of teach faking. me. Sensei, it's teach a lot me. of faking. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you say that because it's it strikes me that. If you didn't feel like you had to project an understanding of the situation and you could be like, hey, I don't get this, it would serve you more because then people were like, oh, she doesn't get it. Let's explain it. Yes. <laughs> you know? But you don't want to Instead seem of, like an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. I That's mean, now that I like, hesitation care. for asking for help. Yes. Now I'm kind of like, I'm sorry, what is going on right now? I need you to explain this to me. Like, I'm <laughs> an idiot. Please explain it to me like I am dumb, please. But yeah, no, it's... It's hard. Navigating social situations is is hard, and especially when you're an adult and you're sort of accustomed to a certain kind of social situation, um, to transition kind of harshly. It's I don't know. It's difficult to do, even for a socially adept person. Like what is mm-hmm. this? And your perceptions of the situation are very skewed because I can tell you, having been on the other side of that exact experience, like. I remember sitting at Will's house and being like, how do, how do I join a conversation? There's like <laughs> Barb and Phyllis and people, they're like sitting around a table. How do I go over there and, and just like join them? I don't yeah. know how to do that. Like, I know these people. I like these people. I'm friendly with these people, but I don't know how to, I don't know how to join a social conversation. <laughs> you just start so, floating around and then butt in. That's yeah. what I do. Hey, See, guys. it's the butting, it's the butting in. <laughs> part yes. that I don't get like <laughs> there's a bubble and I'm not in the bubble and I don't know how to get into the bubble so like Hillary you were looking at me and thinking hey I totally know what's going on I'm like help 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 somebody come talk to me please come talk to me I don't know how to do this uh, I can't reach out to you somebody for the love of God come over here or I'll be forced to look like this is the way that I want it like I remember being a freshman in college and we had a couple of lounges on each floor of the dorm. So yeah. it was like a central staircase. So you'd come out from the interior staircase and there'd be a lounge there before you got to the to the uh, bedrooms. And at the beginning of freshman year, I would come up and there would be like uh, 15 or 20 
other freshmen just like sitting around in the lounge because, you know, <laughs> nobody yeah. has their real friend groups or their hobbies or interests or whatever defined yet. And they're all just sitting there like chatting and getting to know each other whenever. And I yearned to be able to join those groups and sit down and talk with those people. But I was like, well, they haven't asked me. So I'm not invited. And I didn't realize at the time, it's not a question of inviting. It's a question of, well, inviting yourself and just going down and, and, and sitting with them. But then I didn't want them to know how desperately um, outsider I felt and how like lame I felt. So I would just like be like, Hey, and give a smile and head back to my room. And they probably thought I was like the rudest, most frigid bitch. I know for <laughs> just it's walking hard. on. You know, by. I bet they thought you were cooler than them. Honestly, no, no, they didn't. Mm, <laughs> they I just have... thought that bitch who just doesn't even stop and talk to anybody or whatever. When really it was because I was dying inside and didn't know how to say anything to them. Uh, those were the years. Situation. It's so hard. <laughs> I always assume those kind of groups are pre pre made or yep. existing, and it's yeah, it is hard to butt into those kind of things for sure. Yep, yep. Uh, so Meredith, we have something similar. It looks like from you as Hillary's journey to L.A. Yeah, moving to a new city is hard, um, yeah, is. especially a new city in a totally different part of the country. Um, yeah. So. When I moved to Dallas, it was a lot of new stuff happening all at once. Um, you know, it was a new job, a new kind of role, a new like social strata. Um, it was just all really strange. And then g- being a northerner in Texas is really strange. Yes. Um, and I had no idea how to navigate it what i was what was expected of me like i had all these concerns that like oh you know i'm gonna have to like pretend to be somebody i'm not because otherwise these texas conservative bankers are going to reject me and he's going to get fired and it's going to be my fault Um, oof that is a heavy self-imposed load yeah well yes it wasn't fully self-imposed i'll say that Um, (laughs) ah but you know i i didn't no, I I never really felt like I could just be myself in yeah. most situations there, um, especially if it was work people. And that's one of the reasons I hated um, uh, all the parties that I had to yeah. host yeah. because mm-hmm. I'm in my own home and now I have to like put on be an on. act and be fake for all these fake people. Um, and it and really ground me down. Backyard and pee on the grass and then they right pee on my grass yes Ugh. yuck yeah so, so it was strange and there was a lot of like i don't know there was a there was a this kind of mean girl situation and hillary you know who i'm talking about yes um where like this woman and was friends with duff and or no, her husband was friends with duff or they worked together or whatever and she just fully rejected me outright from day one just like we are not going to be friends you are not going to hang out with me i'm not going to show you around like nothing (laughs) it's just like like, she was like the first person that i met there and was just utterly rejected immediately Uh, can you imagine now as like a grown-ass adult spending the energy to um not include somebody so much like that seems so 
bizarre to me. Like, it's yeah, and so we were, I mean, high. we were in our 30s, you know, yeah. she was a little bit younger than me, I think, but not by much. And yeah. I didn't ever I didn't do anything to make her dislike me in retrospect. Like, at first, I was like, well, I guess I'm just the worst. Um, but, Ooh. you know, looking back, I didn't do anything other than introduce myself friend like po- politely and I was kind and, and nice and that she How just didn't want you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she just didn't want to get any of my, I don't know, poor northerner stink on her <laughs> or something. No, no, it's not your northerner. It's your Yankee stink on me. Yes, that. <laughs> gross. <laughs> it's so gross. So yep. gross. So it was weird and I found like one genuine friend there and that was enough. Um but it was tough. You know, yeah. being in a new place with a new social situation and no roots is really, really hard. And you didn't love the oilman's ball or whatever it was. <sighs> I mean, it was fun to get ready for. Yeah, but no. But tr- <laughs> I remember. I remember Meredith because I don't think I was on the show yet when you were like, "I'm going to the Petroleum Club," and I'm like, "Whoa, really?" Like I had barely ever been there, and it was only like invite from some like random rich friend that I had. Yeah, and we had a like, membership. I was like, "Whoa, okay." We had our own waiter. Oh, my God. It was gross. What was his name? Do you remember? It was Jose, of course. Of course. course. (laughs) And as far as I could tell, he lived there because he was there every time we were. And he was the only person who ever waited on us. And it's the kind of place where you don't pay a bill at the end of the night. You just get a bill every month. Yep. And yeah. I yep. was in charge of paying that. And I was like, holy crap. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Sucks. We go to this. Uh, we're not members. Uh, Troy, who I work with, is a member of this place called the Hel- Headliners Club, which is like the same thing. And I've seen the bills. And I'm like, what? For that? Okay. I mean, the service is good. Mm. But the food is like, fine. The food's good at the Petroleum Club. And also, I saw Ross Pro there one time. That was kind of fun. <laughs> but that's it. <laughs> Did you pick him up and put him in your pocket? I could have. <laughs> with you? I could barely see over the table. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I don't have anything about moving to a new city. I guess because I moved to so many new cities when yeah. I was a child, I think it doesn't quite hit me the same way. You know, I, I think imposter syndrome doesn't develop until you're a little bit older. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Until, yeah. until bl- you have more... You're sort of oblivious when you're a kid because somebody else is like kind of taking care of stuff for you, not socially necessarily, but like you're where you're living or whatever. And you kind of don't have a choice in the matter. So you're like, I guess this yeah. is yeah, what I we're guess doing. I never, I didn't really feel it until I was in college, I guess, yeah, until I things so. started to kind of like, oh no, I'm responsible for this and it's not going as well as I hoped. That's when yeah, it kind of hit me. <laughs> yep. I think maybe when you're, when you're a kid and a teenager, you're so self-involved maybe that you don't. You can't fully register. That's I don't know. I haven't thought about it much, but um, yeah. But I I haven't had any imposter or syndrome stuff related to places that I've lived. But the first thing they put on my list is uh, singing because I'm desperately afraid that people are actually going to find out that I'm not a very good singer. Um, oh my god! What? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, come on. Someday, someday, you guys are going to find out that yeah. I'm really not You've been good. faking being a good singer, which is all you need to do to actually be a good singer. Okay. You're like, it's like, um, whatchamacallit, um, singing in the rain, where you have, like, somebody singing for you. Like, yes! Debbie's living. <laughs> I have Debbie Reynolds behind yes. the curtain mm-hmm. <laughs> singing for me. No, like, I don't know. I've always felt like I just wasn't 
quite good enough a singer. Like, I was never quite good enough to get the really big solos. I mean, I did some in college, but maybe that maybe this was something that definitely developed in, in high school because there was for sure a hierarchy of singers in my high school. Oh, yeah. And, uh, that, my, that my choir director had, and it went blonde senior sopranos, blonde junior <laughs> sopranos, other sopranos, senior altos, and then younger altos. And guess which one of those I was? I was at the bottom of the back. Why is it always so, blonde sopranos? Like, what is, it? What I, is going I, on here? Men. Men, yes. dude. Yeah. I, yeah. And, and my... Uh, so the first year I was eligible to audition for um, Allstate Choir, he didn't let me. And about two weeks after that, I don't know, I was doing something for him. And he was like, you know, I didn't have you audition for Allstate because I didn't think you were ready. Oh, I was God. wrong. Ugh. And I was like, man, could you just not have told me that at all? But then I auditioned for it next year and I fucked up the audition so bad, I can't even tell you. It embarrasses me to think about it to this day. Oh, no. I, I did not get into all state choir. Like you try singing an aria at seven thirty in the morning without warming up, and let's see how no, that thanks. goes. But I don't it know. would go like, spectacularly had... well for me. You know that it would. I could kill that. <laughs> <laughs> I when I was in college. So I was in a bunch of different groups, of course, and I was in one affiliated with the Cleveland. Institute of Music and the director there who was the head of organ studies like why he was directing the choir I don't know but he was a member of the choir director fellows of America or something whatever so he had some directing chops but um like one of the guys in my choir came over one time and was like hey Todd the director recommended you as someone who's a good alto who might be interested in this thing that we're doing and it was this small group of people that was going to get together and sing some baroque music i don't oh, remember God. but it's like like old, like more than 400 years old right and i was like oh my god that's so cool the director recommended me to go do this and so i went uh and it wasn't a small group of people it was four people two men two women one for each voice part and the tenor was the um chair of the music department wow uh, and so I was the one alto, and the expectation was that we would sight-read all of this Baroque music together. And I am a very poor sight-reader. And it was such a train wreck, and I was so embarrassed to do this in front of the chairman of the department. And they did not invite me back. Let's put it that way. And, like, I want to shrivel into my skin when I even think about it, because it was like this time that someone was like, yeah, she's good. And then I totally just did a giant belly flop into, into the pool of song. <laughs> uh, and that's sort of like how it's gone for me. I just feel like I'm never quite good enough. Or sometimes I start to think like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too bad of a singer. And then I hear somebody who's actually good. And I'm like, oh, man, I suck. I well, I mean, you, you were sort of put in situations that were like unwinnable a little bit. It wasn't like, hey, sing this thing that you're like kind of comfortable with and like, let's go. It was like sing very early in the morning um, and also <laughs> sing like an ancient, not ancient, but you know what well, I mean? Well, and like, not be not, it doesn't mean you're not a good singer. It means you're not a good sight reader, which you already knew. Yeah. 
Yes. That's a- not and, a fair situation. Um, and what was that? What was the imposter type? Uh, the ex... Wait, I got to go back. The expert, where if you don't fit every single yes. um, bullet point on yep. the job description, you, you won't go for it. Right. And because I'm such a terrible sight singer... That really hampers me in auditions because that's always there's always three elements in a, a choir audition and sight singing is one of them. And that's always my weakest by far. And I think there's a lot of groups that I've never tried out for because I'm like, no, I just can embarrass myself. And 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 the fact that I'm actually a really fast learner, like I'll pick it up real yeah. quick. Yeah. But I just when I'm alone with no accompaniment and they're just like, sing these notes on the page. It's just it's real hard for me. But it's something that I think I've really allowed to hold me back. But I'm pretty sure I'm not a good singer. Yeah, you're you're terrible. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I'm I'm reassuring you on that one. (laughs) No, and I I also uh, regarding the um, applying for stuff that you're you know, not applying for stuff that you're not perfect for. Like, I, I wonder if this is a, a gendered thing and I don't want to make this yes, all about, like, it is. but it is. But I feel like there are so many jobs. I'm like, well, I don't know how to do exactly that. So I'm not even in the running for it. I would never apply for it. And I feel like there are a lot of men that have some unearned confidence and just apply for things. <laughs> um, uh, that is fact. I yes. have read studies on that where, uh, women are less likely to apply if they don't meet every single criteria, and men are more likely to apply if they meet one criterion. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, guys, you're great. You can be competent too. It's like if maybe if we'd had society giving us confidence as women yeah. from the time we were born instead yeah. of, you know, Barbies that say math is hard, you know, <laughs> maybe maybe we would be more comfortable applying for jobs that we weren't technically perfect for. Yeah. But that's so scary because what if you get it and then they're like, what are you doing here? Yeah. You don't know how well, to do this. <laughs> why, why don't we get to that portion of the discussion then, <laughs> Meredith? Would you like Would you like to kick that off? I sure would. This, this, aside from chemistry class kind of waking me up into being like, oh, you're not actually a natural genius. Um, the, the first, I'd say, two years of work for me after I finished grad school were the biggest... Um, two years of feeling like an imposter that I've ever experienced. And so being a new grad that I I feel like that's kind of expected a little bit. Um, You know, I I have a master's degree. I felt like I was mastering nothing. Um, I I just remember thinking the whole time, like I'm supposed to be the expert here and I I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I'm making it up as I go. And in retrospect, what I was doing was learning, you know, I I think I learned more in those two years of work than I did in grad school and undergrad combined. Um, But it was terrifying. And what finally snapped me out of it was, I forget who said this to me, maybe my mom, she was like, so your boss, who's a PhD, right? Yes. Hired you? Yes. Because she thought that you could do this job. Yes. And have you gotten fired yet? No. Okay, so do you think she's an idiot for hiring you? Yes. Kind (laughs) of. I just think people are very mistaken because I'm really good at pretending. Yes, Yes. that's what I thought. I've snowed them all. Oh, yes. 
I'm that good is... at fooling people. But yep. the, the, the thing that did snap me out of it is like, well, I do respect my boss and she is smart and she hires people all the time. So I guess I got to trust her a little bit. And that was my first, like, I think that was the first and very important step towards like getting over that feeling at work. Um, and of course it started right back up when I got a new job at a new place doing a totally different thing. Yeah. Um, and now it's it, been almost, it'll be two years in August and I'm wow. s- just now starting to feel like <laughs> I'm not an imposter and I manage people now. Yeah. And that's like, I mean, as we've discussed a whole different level. So you have to be like the most competent or the uh, way, or you just have to be able to <laughs> manage people. And I have to know. be, yeah. And I've been mentoring people for years. So I feel like that's kind of the most important part of my job is the mentoring. Um, and luckily I have an easy team and I have been learning how to delegate, getting better at that, um, and letting go a little bit. So I think there's been a lot of growth and I feel like the imposter syndrome is definitely fading away. Um, just in general, like I, I've, I don't know why it took me until I was like 40 plus to start feeling like, (laughs) No. comfortable with what I'm doing for work yeah. but yeah. I think I'm starting to get there finally I mean hey there's hope for us yeah there is um well I Hillary. also <laughs> I also said work um because you know I sort of sidestepped my way into this job um and have really had to learn on on the go and like we were talking about I mean google.com is my best friend it's like hold on i'll find that answer because a lot of people look to me like do you know how to do this and i'm like one second please let me get right back to you um but for the longest time you know it's every industry has its own language and jargon and that in trying to break through that to understand what people are really saying is what i'm doing half of the time because people are doing that corporate speak or that commercial real estate speak. And there's a lot of the unearned confidence men (laughs) around me. Um, And, you know, there's these, I mean, it's a sales job, so it's kind of required for them. Yes. And they're all just about image. Yep. And they're all just talking, talking, talking and throwing out numbers, the cap rate on this, the, the nets on this and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, now I know what it all means. And mostly I know that they're kind of talking bullshit. And I think, for a long time, I, I would, you know, when I'd first start at a office, I would feel like I, I have no idea for the first year, I would, would like have no idea what I was doing. And even when I came back to a similar position with the same team, I kind of was like, I'm sort of lost again. Like, where's everything? I mean, finding where things are saved is like half of my job. I swear to God, yeah. like looking through the files to be like, where's this floor plan saved? Um, and just trying to figure out what's the most important thing to be done. And when people ask me, like, has this been done? And you're like, hold on one second. Let me do it really quickly. And like I said before, I don't get stressed out by a lot of work. I mean, I don't like a lot of work, but I don't, as long as I have a kind of a step-by-step, I I can, I feel okay about getting stuff done. It's when I don't know how to do something. Like, for instance, yesterday I had to go supervise this guy taking a Matterport, which is like a virtual tour. It's just like the name of the camera. Um, And I had to kind of, get into this construction site. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea. I hadn't been to this building yet. I had no idea how to navigate there. I had to talk to, I had to talk to a man who was very nice, but he did have two teardrops on his (laughs) eye. And he was telling me about the construction and I'm like, Oh, uh uh-huh. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, and I, 
I woke up that morning feeling very like skittish because I just was like, I have no, I'm going to totally fail this. I have no idea what I'm doing. We're not going to be able to get these pictures done and I, and I'm going to fail and everything is going to fall apart. Honestly, it doesn't really matter. But for the most part, I think with that, I've realized the older I get, the more I realize that nobody knows what they're talking about most of the time. Like, you know, some people are somewhat experts in their field, but everybody is kind of bullshitting because everybody sort of has a bravado and they're trying to protect themselves and make themselves seem like an expert. And if you kind of scratch the surface a little bit, most people don't really know what the fuck they're yeah, doing. Um, and I, I get comfort in that <laughs> sadly. Um, Although it, I, it does. I, I would like to continue to believe that my boss now does know everything because she's the <laughs> yes. person I ask when I don't know. So she yes. usually has an answer and that is comforting. It is. And, and I, I will uh, add the twist that I think it depends on the industry a lot because, yes. you know, I work with engineers. Yes. And it's not bravado. They really do think that they know what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't always. Well, I think that people can be like micro experts in things like they know exactly about the thing that they are doing. But then... Like I've been on marketing calls all week long and everybody's just talking in circles. And most of the time what it is, it's people not wanting to do the work. So they're trying to figure out ways to not so subtly, but subtly giving you the work. And I'm like, I get what you're Uh doing here. Like I get what you're, you don't really know how to do this. So you want to put it on somebody else to do it. It's fine. Like I'll take it because I know how to do it. But it just is interesting when all of a sudden you're a little bit older and you're like, Oh, okay. Everybody has a little bit of imposter syndrome. Like you can just see it. Like it's like mm-hmm. the matrix or something, you know, <laughs> it's like this, it, the, it falls from your eyes and you realize that like everybody is a little bit um, insecure in their position, even yeah. if they make a lot of money. And even if they're uh, bosses or whatever, they're mm-hmm. all a little bit insecure when they go yep. home, they're all wearing underwear and they're all awkward when they're naked. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think, I think one of the best things about getting older is, like you said, like you see what's actually what the subtext for all this stuff is. Yes. And like, I'm such a people pleaser that that I'm like, yeah, sure, I can take that. that I can do that. I can do yeah. that. And now I just kind of like to watch people squirm a yes. little bit yes. if they're being a pain <laughs> in my ass. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to let you marinate in yep. this. Yep before I put you out of your misery and say that I'm going to do this because this is not okay. No, exactly. And they're like, mm-hmm. and you know, when somebody like they're trying to figure out how to ask you without asking you. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, Hmm, that's a good idea. I wonder who could do that. Mm. It'd be, it'd be, yeah. I don't know. We'll have to check and see who can do that. I don't, I don't know if mm. I have any of the capacity to do that, but yeah, I mean, I, I think with work, it really does get to, um, just, it's, it's like not monotony, but just like doing the same thing for a long time. At some point it just drills down on you. And I will, I will like today when I was on this marketing call, it was like, I was floating above my zoom and I was like, what are you even like? I knew what I was talking about, but it was like, I was just unconsciously saying the right things. And I'm like, wow, you're doing it. Like, look at you. I was just about to say that I've had those (laughs) moments. And I think when I was working at the hospital was the first time I noticed myself doing it. I was in a meeting with some doctors and I was talking and I was sounding like correct and authoritative. And like, I was impressing myself like from, (laughs) from the other side of the room. I was like, wow. I do sound like I know what I'm talking about. This is cool. I like this. Is this what other people see when they look at me? I know. 
I know. And then sometimes people will be like, oh, well, you know, like everything going on here. And you're like, do you think I know everything? Because I really don't know that much. But okay, if you're coming to me, to me to ask for advice, like I'll happily give you my experiences. But I still feel like a little baby. Actually, I went to this luncheon the other day. It was like for the staff of the top producers, which the top producers get like a really nice dinner at like Uchi, which is a fancy sushi place. And you know, whatever, yeah, some track or whatever. And um, you should get the same thing. The staff of the, we went to a lunch. Actually, it was fine. Although it was too long of a lunch and we had to like, I was like, I need to go back and do my work. Like I kind of want to, I like spending my lunches by myself because it's like the one time that I can be by myself and like just zone out and yeah, w- do whatever. That's what I used to do too. Um, but they were like, when did you start working at Seabury? And I was like telling my stories of like when I first started, I was a word processor, like all of this stuff. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, I've been doing this for a long time. And I really do actually know what I'm doing. I do know what I'm doing. And that's when I kind of recall that. You're like, yeah, I I know this. I know how to do this. But still, I mean, every day when I'm confronted with not knowing how to do something, then I, I quake in my boots a little bit. I think what's helped me, I think being like a more senior and mentoring people has helped me because they haven't really managed to stump me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of how that that is starting to van- like the imposter syndrome with my current position is starting to vanish because I usually do know the answer, and these are people who are just brand new starting out, so it's like the the rudimentary basics. I know mm-hmm. those, <laughs> yes, <laughs> but it like, helps. I can do those. Like I can, I can help this. with that actually. Yes, it's like- another one of those things where I think uh, explaining something to somebody else is classically one of the best ways to kind of sort it out in your own brain yeah mm-hmm. like the amount of things that i'm like oh i understand what this is all about when i'm trying to explain it to somebody else like i think that's where i do my real learning mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. i totally agree i totally agree and all right i guess i will uh this is out of my timeline but uh, since we're talking about work i put yep work <laughs> on <laughs> mine i still remember going all the way back to 1999 on my first training session working at the store uh brand new to working retail not food service and you know there's stuff like here's how you use the cash register and here's how you know how you approach customers and whatever but what it really was that was the product knowledge because we had so much merchandise and all of it has it's you know features and benefits as they say mm. and so like the manager is explaining you know telling me about all these different products so that i can sell them and i remember being about two hours into the training and having this this thought where i went out to my body and i thought oh my god i can't do this this is too much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm overwhelmed. I can't do this job. Um, but if there's one thing I'm not, it's a quitter. I do not quit. And I was terrified for like the first two months that I worked there because a small store, you most of the time work by yourself. So I like it was me. I had to be there and answer the question and I was just terrified that I would get something wrong or look stupid or screw something up and then a couple of months into it somebody asked me a question and I just answered without thinking and I thought hey I knew that answer hey I know all the answers like yeah I had enough time that (laughs) that I'd experienced all the sort of not all but the most common permutations of the things that I was going to have to handle but that uh, that feeling of just 
being so completely at sea and vulnerable and oh my god please nobody come in please nobody ask Mm. me please 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 because i'm going to expose myself as being really bad at my job and just carried on when i went to the university and that was i mean that was a job that that i was the the first of my line in that (laughs) job they had had some sort of data analyst position uh, that they had cut five years prior because the guy who was in it got found out keeping Ooh. images of things on his work computer that oh, he gosh. should not have been keeping. Um, and apparently he was given a number of chances to shape up and oh <laughs> remove God. that stuff. And he just was unable to not look at porn at work. So he got fired oh and they God. just like, <laughs> I can't even imagine I know, right? And like, do it on your on your downtime at home, for God's sake. Why are sakes. you saving them onto your computer? <laughs> your work what computer is going to happen. <laughs> They're going to find out eventually. Um, and so I came into this position that was newly created, and and so there was no uh, existing uh, tasks, no existing duties, no oh structure, gosh. no anything. Ugh. They just sort of hired me as a data analyst and they showed me to the cubicle and they were like, here you go. <laughs> do luck. the thing, hand waving. And I was like, the th- what? Do the, do the what? <laughs> oh my God. Oh, that's a nightmare. Oh. It, it was, it was terrible. Like they knew they needed somebody in that position and they had kind of a few ideas about what I would do, but there was nobody to onboard me or train oh, me or nobody to ask questions. Oh, that's nobody terrifying. to ask questions except the engineers. And as previously referenced, God love you. <laughs> nobody can sound confident like an engineer. And it took me years to figure out like, Oh wait, just because they sound confident doesn't mean they actually are correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Like oh, they're correct yes. in their own mind. Like they followed the logic path and yep. figured out how it works, but they can't, they can't conceive that they may have gone wrong yep. somewhere. Yep. So I would get all of this bullshit information <laughs> from these men mm-hmm. uh, that I would then, and then working at the university, it's 160 years old. And so it's a, a, a structure that's evolved over time. And there are a lot of different silos, like knowledge silos and the first year is just figuring out who to talk to yes. for what you need. Yep. It's terrible. It is. And and when it's a big company or, you know, university, it's like, who do I ask about whatever? Something, it could, something not be like directly related to your job. It's just like HR or whatever, you know, stuff like that. You're like, who do I even ask? I don't know. I don't know. Right. Uh, And I remember going to finance, like utility finance with some question, like I've been trying to work on something and she looked at what I had and she's like, well, let's not reinvent the wheel because I've got all of this right here. And I'm like, oh, oh. cool. (laughs) Like That would have been nice to know (laughs) two weeks ago. Oh my God. But (laughs) so the upshot of all this is just that like I've made up my position as I've gone along and like, I don't know anything about energy. Energy production <laughs> when I started. I don't know anything about carbon emissions and conservation and all that stuff. I'm just like, uh huh, sure, I can do that. <laughs> and I spent so long being like, they're going to find out I haven't got a 
fucking idea what's going on. And like they'll all talk about shit, and I'm like, uh huh, sure, Ab- sounds yeah. great. <laughs> all like so many engineering concepts that I just don't know, and I've. I'm like I just had this one in the last couple of weeks where the director was like, "Hey, Anne, I want to figure out how much money we're saving generating our own electricity at one of our steam plants." And, you know, there's the the savings that you get from not having to buy electricity from the utility, but then there's the the costs that you have to like use the fuel to make your own electricity. He's like, "Can you put something together that?" But then there's all these other things that go into it, and I'm like. How the fuck do I know how a combined heat and power plant works? Like, yeah. you need other people to give you that input so that you can analyze okay. it. Well, then I did. I uh, I sent an email to one of the engineers that was like, "Hey, can you do a sanity check on this data for me? Because I'm just trying to put this together, and I have no idea if it makes any sense." And he's like. Well, if you really want to get into this, you have to look at all the individual utility rate cases and blah, blah, blah. I think I've got a study somewhere that I did. And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like, I don't, engineers, I can't, can't. Like, I don't need it to be that detailed. I really, I just like need a basic kind of situation going on here. And I was like, sure, send me the study, you know. (laughs) And it even goes down to like, they have uh, reports that come from the... uh, utility plant operators and everything is coded right so like what's the ctg what's the hersig turns out the ctg is a combustion turbine generator i had to google it i had to google it and i work on clinical trials i work with medical data that i don't understand half of the time you know it's like cool <laughs> and it, i don't have to understand it necessarily i i understand enough to make it make sense but i don't right. know what every lab means i don't know what every test means i don't know you know and it's not necessary to usually because now i have a lot of support yeah. um you know if there's if if there's research that needs doing i i know that i can email somebody in medical writing and say, hey, can you do a lit review for me? Um, Also because they have the journal access and I do not. So I literally can't do it, which is fine with me. (laughs) But it's like there's so many things that you don't know that you don't know. Yes. Yes. When you start at something. Yes. And like I've had to learn over time that like the data that I need is dependent on the context in which I need it. Like am I looking to see how much electricity we used as a campus, then, you know, I need this. But hey, if I'm looking to see how many carbon emissions we use from electricity, well, then I don't include solar energy. And then I don't include, you know, wind energy. Mm. And so it's like two, depending on what somebody is looking for, it's going to be something different. And I didn't know any of that when I started. And I still, I still feel in a lot of some ways, I have a master's degree. I mean, God love them, they gave it to me. But... (laughs) I think like, you probably earned it. <laughs> oh, God. We'll get to that later. <laughs> um, but I just don't – I just feel like I don't understand the basics of anything. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And, but but the great thing, the great thing that took me a long time to understand is that they have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> they don't know if what I'm doing is, is right or not. Like – when I worked in retail, the store owner is a big micromanager, which I understand because it's a small business. It's yeah. money that comes directly out of his pocket, right? You're not throwing corporate funds around. And so he was always like breathing over my neck and wanting to know exactly how I arrived at this and that. And the first time I like put some data together at the university and I went to show it to my boss and she was like, great. And I was like, don't you, 
don't you want to see my You're work? Just going to cut me? What? <laughs> like, what? What? I've got all information. I was super afraid that I would just do it wrong, <laughs> that I would get in trouble. But the fact is, a decade and a half in, I have done it wrong so many times yes. and nobody ever notices. Yes. Yep. Well, and I have and like, great. recognized, I mean, there's been times that I've like royally fucked up at some, on something and I've seen people do much, not that this is what, how you should like do your work life, but I've seen people fuck up so much worse than I have that I'm like, well, at least I'm not doing that. Like I haven't done that. So, and they weren't fired. So I'm fine. Right. I was beating myself up once to my mom and I was like, God, I just, I shouldn't make mistakes like this. It's just like surgeons can't go into the operating room and be like, whoops, made a mistake. They have to be perfect. So why should the expectations be less for me? And my mom was like, Anna, I had to break it to you. Surgeons make mistakes in the (laughs) OR all the time. time. (laughs) And I was like, thanks, mom. (laughs) That reassures me. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm more nervous. Weirdly. Yep. All right. Well, let's get off of work. We've talked about work a lot. Let's uh, let's go on to our wild card submission yes. here, Hillary. Oh my gosh, this is the one that I feel the most. Um, mine is obviously parenting. I still feel like but I. But have... you're you're a B plus mom. <laughs> I'm you a B always plus say mom. that. Listen, you manage my kids, expectations so well. <laughs> my kids are fed. They are you know in school. They get to school every day. They have clothes. They have. You know, they go to tr- on trips. Their their lifestyle is fine, but I literally have no idea what I'm doing at all. I will say it weirdly. So when I had Bridget, I was very ready to be a mom. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing, but I, especially being like the baby, I had babysat, but like I hadn't really taken care of that many babies. I didn't really know what I was doing as far as taking care of babies, but I was really ready to be a parent and. A lot of people will say your first kid, it really just like rocks your world. It's, you know, it's such a change. I was so ready for it that it didn't necessarily like rock my world. I was, it was so, um, checklist, you know, make sure the baby's changed, make sure the baby's fed, you know, bathe the baby. And then again and again, I mean, it was a lot of repetition, but it was like a checklist. Um, <laughs> she I could, needs to eat again. I know, Jesus Christ. I actually love <laughs> She just it. did that yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I actually love nursing because I mean, and, and however you feed your baby is best. I just, I loved it. And because it meant that I could just sit down and like, look at my phone and not, I mean, I'm sure I was supposed to be like gazing at her, but I was like, watch yeah. TV. <laughs> I did read 50 shades of gray while nursing my daughter. Um, um, that was not great, but you know, it was 2012. What was I supposed to do? But, um, I, babies dumb was easier for me. I just thought it was like, okay, like I get it. And Bridget was a good, this was a big asterisk. Bridget was a good sleeper from like six weeks. So I didn't really have the drag of like, oh my God, I'm waking up all the time. It was, it was pretty easy. She slept all night. So it was like, okay, like, let's do this. This is great. And I kept a really good schedule and I had that down. Now, then you enter toddler territory and then enter Rory being born and that really like threw me for a loop. Cause I was like, I don't know how to do with this with two. I feel too pulled aside. I went back to work. I had a baby that depended on me and a toddler that was <laughs> very toddlerish. <laughs> um, and um, to put it lightly, she had a lot of emotions when she was three years old and um, just 
I find the older they get, it's almost harder. Now, right now, my kids are at a good age because they're neither teenagers nor babies. So I don't have to do a lot of the, yeah, I don't have to do the physical stuff and they're not driving or anything. But I find it a lot harder to deal with the emotional stuff because sometimes I still feel like a kid and trying to navigate the waters of being a fifth grade girl again and how involved do I get or how uninvolved do I get? Am I involved in the school? Am I doing crafts and am I, am I doing this right? Am I, am I, you know, harming her psyche or his psyche? Am I it's just, there's all of these, they're two different independent people who are similar to Dave and I in some ways, but also, you know, completely different than us in a lot of ways. And uh, just trying to navigate it all. And then having the kind of unpaid, competition going on. You know, at work, it's one thing. It's like, well, you're going to compensate it for it. And there is some competition, I guess, but I don't know. It's a different, like non-personal kind of thing. And then when you get into mom territory, it's like, this mom is doing this, this mom is doing this. Now I really have chosen as a parent to, again, to be a B, B plus parent. Like I'm not going to do crafts. It's just not my thing. You've, my handwriting is terrible. I'm not a crafty person. Missy is an amazing crafter. If, my kids can go to her if they want to do some glue gun stuff. That's just not going to happen in my house. <laughs> and I like a night, like a neat house. It stresses me out to have, uh, not, I'm not saying Missy's is not neat, but like d- just like having crafts everywhere, like gives me, I don't like it. So I, I, I've chosen to go down that route, but I remember, and again, I think I've spoken about this, but I remember when the kids were starting like quarantine school and we kept the kids, we didn't keep the kids home for very long. We pretty much sent them as soon as they could go back. Um, But there was like a month where they had to be at home in 2020, the beginning of the school year in 2020. And all these moms on Facebook and stuff were showing all, you know, oh, this is our kindergarten room. And, you know, everything's color coordinated and everything is like ready to go. And I just, that was, I started crying. And I was like, I don't know how to do this. Like, I can't can't do this. So many lesson plans on Facebook, you know. (laughs) And it was like, download this thing. Pinterest would just go away. I know. And I just was like, I can't, I can't do this. And then I, you know, it took me some time to realize like everybody is coping in their own way. And this is how they're coping is to like crazy organize this. And I am organized in a certain way, but I, I, I just can't do that. But also again, really what it is also is just dealing with the emotions of two different little people and, validating them but also this this balance that I want to have is like I don't want to be a helicopter parent because I don't think that's great but I also like don't want to be a parent that's like yeah do whatever and you know I'm not watching at all and I I want them to eat healthy but I don't want to give them complexes about their bodies and you know they can eat junk food and enjoy food and that's great and you know I want them to feel like they can talk to me about their emotions but also like stop being whiny. You have a really nice life and, you know, suck it up. I want them to do chores, but I also want them to have fun. I want them to do well at school, but they don't want them to be obsessed with school because that's not good. So it's all of these competing things. And most of the time I'm like, I have no fucking idea. And I, I vacillate a lot. Like when I go to the kids teacher, parent teacher conferences, when I went to the kids at the beginning of the year, uh, you know, their, te- their teachers were like, they're doing great. You know, they're great kids. We really like it. We enjoy them and, you know, whatever. And I'm like, I am the best parent ever. Like, <laughs> I am killing it. And then something terrible happens and, you know, somebody fails a math test or somebody has a falling out with a friend or 
or they get or they get in trouble at school or something. They were talking too much or whatever. And it's like, well, I guess your not. children. No, never. And so it's just is this constant game. I have no idea. I never know what I'm doing. There are occasional times where I'll hear myself, like I said, at work, like I'll hear myself give advice and I'm like, that's really good advice. I don't always follow it, but that's really good advice. Like, don't, you know, don't envy other people because it's just a losing game and, you know, whatever, all this kind of generic advice, but I mostly have no idea what I'm doing. And then when I lose my shit, which happens on occasion, it never feels good. And I feel like I, you know, I, I stepped in it and I, I became the kid in the situation and whatever. It just is whatever. It's just really, it's really hard. And I love having kids. I ha- I love my kids. I am not a kid person necessarily. Like I love my kids. I think they're really fun and I enjoy them, but I, it is, it's really hard uh, work <laughs> to raise people to be good people. Um, but you're raising a sleigh queen. I think, I mean, how could the mother <laughs> of the sleigh queen be doing God. a bad job? Uh, and she just got, Logically, I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. I no. think the thing, the thing to remember about all of this is that you are doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You absolutely. are. Yeah. You are. All parents are doing it wrong. Yep. No. I mean, I remember crying about when I was holding Bridget when she was a baby. And this is probably when, like, I didn't have postpartum depression, but I had, like, the whatever minor version of it, like, where you're just hormones are leaving your body or whatever they're doing. And I'm crying over Bridget. And I'm like, she's just so perfect. And I'm going to screw her up. And my mom just said, yeah, of course you're going to screw her up. That's what we do. We screw people <laughs> up. That's what happens. And actually, that was very good advice because it was like, okay, well, there's no way to do this perfectly. It's just not going to happen. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm very lucky that my kids are, I'm using air quotes, normal. Like they're not, you know, whatever, normal is, my kids are not normal. But they're, you know, within the average of kids. So I don't have to deal with like a kid that's severely disabled or whatever, have severe learning disabilities or is super neurodivergent. I'm lucky about that because that I can't even like, I guess you just rise to the occasion, but I can't yep. imagine that because it's hard enough with quote unquote normal kids to, to do this. And yeah, if, if that happened, you'd deal with it. Yeah, you'd yeah. feel like you yeah. had absolutely no idea what you're doing. Yes. And yeah. And you just be the best mom you can be. Not to like crib a line from the army. I say this as I smell the Costco um, tacos being cooked right now. And I'm like, she said, what are you making me for dinner? And I said, can you make yourself tacos? And she said, yes, I can. I'm like, all right, great. I've taught you at least how to um, put some tacos in the oven. She's for- self-sufficient. You're doing great. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, She's God. fine. <laughs> um, Meredith, do you want to talk about your successes and failures as a, as a cat parent? Or would you like to <laughs> choose another topic? I think, I mean, in the same level of, of importance as bringing up the next generation of human beings, I've always felt like a bit of a fraud on this, this very here podcast. Um, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Because <laughs> Mike invited me to fill in for him while... Emily was having brain surgery and I was like, what am I supposed to say to that? No, <laughs> no, um, I don't want to be on your podcast. What while I wanted your wife to say was brain surgery. <laughs> what I wanted to say was I have no idea how to do that and I'm not going to be good at it. And no, I don't want to do it, but I did it. Uh, and I still think that's true. Um, but, uh, it's gotten a little bit more comfortable over the years, but not much. Um, and it's just never something that I would have done on my own if Mike hadn't roped me into it. Because honestly, after I was done filling in for him, I thought I was done. I thought it was like, okay, I don't have to do that anymore. 
<laughs> wrong. And he's like, wrong. just get it. He's like, guess what? You're not leaving. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, R.I.P. Mike. He knew where you lived and he still had both legs. I know. So. I know. I couldn't say no. So... I'm glad I didn't say no, but it, it is scary and it's not, I don't think it's a natural talent of mine. So it's, it's kind of cool that I get to still do it and still be yeah. friends with you guys. Yes. <laughs> do you, do you still get nervous before um, we record? No. No. Cause I, I'd, I got nervous for years. Yes. Before we to. recorded. Yep. I would get the butterflies in my stomach every time, like in the five, 10 minutes before we were supposed to record. And I don't do that anymore. It's like, that's, there's a mark of how far we've come. I agree. I don't, so I don't get nervous before show anymore and I don't listen to them anymore. <laughs> yeah, I used to listen not. kind of obsessively to like give myself, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Give yourself and, notes. Because what it did is I would just beat myself up and just say, oh, yes. that's stupid. I shouldn't have said yeah. that or whatever. Yes. Um. So now I don't do it partly because I don't have time and partly because yeah. I don't really, I, I was here I'm able to. I know what I moment. said. <laughs> I know what right. I said. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, but then Alicia calls in and says that we said bad things about charades, and I'm like, did I say something about charades? <laughs> well, then you at least can go back and check the record. But <laughs> you're like, hold up. Um, I do actually, Loki, get a little bit nervous before we record. Like just right before. Like I, it's like nervous energy. It's not like stage fright because hello. Um, but it's like maybe it's it like good go? anxiety that's like motivating yes. and energy yes. giving. Well, and, and it's kind of. Um, I mean, obviously, I know how to press the buttons. I know how to record myself. It's more like, how is this going to go? What is the unknown that's going to happen during this? I get a little right. bit of nervous energy about this. Like, is this going to go okay? Like, am I going to sound okay? I don't know. We'll see. I think it would be a lot I... more scary if our livelihoods depended on it. Yes. Yeah, well, that's true. Yes. So if there was more at stake, you're right. Yes. But I, I still am convinced that there will be a show where we're like, okay, let's start the conversation. But ump, and then we just <laughs> like, sit here. Anyway. Like, has that ever happened with us? No. <laughs> like, we couldn't no. have a conversation. <laughs> or, or the running joke is that I'm always falsely confident, and I'm like, yeah, I think, I think we're gonna have a quick show tonight. It's not. And Meredith's just like, <laughs> uh huh, uh-huh, no. sure. Every time Meredith is skeptical, and every time Meredith is right, because yep. I always think, yeah, we don't have actually that much to talk about with this. I think we'll be able to get through pretty quickly. <laughs> and, um, we, if we didn't two. have a lot to talk about with each other, we wouldn't be friends, and we wouldn't have a show it's, that we yes, do for that's like true. Yeah. how many people listen to us like 10 we don't you know, we're kind of doing it for ourselves too yes um yeah. and i think that if we didn't have that chemistry and we didn't like talking to each other we wouldn't do it yeah that's very true yeah that's very true it would not we would not have persevered through the tougher times uh, yeah. for people of of doing the podcast yeah. well I have to say, Meredith, I think you're very good at yes, doing I the do show. Too. Whenever you do the intro, I am consistently delighted Aww. by how clever yes. they are. Yeah, like you always come up with such good turns of phrase, and you have a real a way of um, introducing what the material is going to be in a way that's very concise and it makes me look forward to talking about it. Yep. So, well, thanks, Anne. I think you're I think you're very good at it. I think I we got to give credit to guest producer Gregory Shrek and Gauss. He often gives me notes and get, he's like, you know what? This would be a better, funnier way to say that. And he's always right. So. <laughs> I appreciate the compliment, but I'm going to share yes. it with him. Yes. I think. Okay, I, and fine. I, and I like your voice because I have a loud yep. voice and yours is very soothing to me. 
I'm sorry that I'm so quiet. I don't no, know why. No, no. Oh, please. I'm like blowing up the speakers. It's fine. We have, it's called balance. Yeah, we balance each other out. That's a good yes, way of looking at true. it. That's it's, it's, uh, true. It's different energies that somehow come together and, yes. and work well. And, and uh, we would not have this podcast if you were not a part of it. Either yes. of you. Yes. Even though, you know, we did it for a while without Hillary. She was a much needed injection <laughs> yes. of of energy and personality. See, Mike was <laughs> right about show. that, too. He's always right. Oh, I know. my God. I know. <laughs> about everything. <laughs> yeah. I still hold place of pride being the one who got roped in by Christy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's yeah. good. She was like, let's get this Mike lady. didn't know I existed because I was too much of an imposter to introduce myself to anybody. Comes full circle. <sighs> yes, indeed. Okay, well, I'll finish out. We kind of went past this in the timeline, but I do want to talk about my grad school experience a little bit. And the reason that I went to grad school is because I didn't know what to do with my life. Yeah. Now that I was a quote unquote grown up, I like that's a I had common... no plan. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, like, I don't know what to do or where to go or how to get a job or get money. So I guess I'll keep going to school. I do know how to be a student. Yeah. Indeed. And it took the GRE and whatever, all of that. And and I didn't know what to do. I, you know, my undergraduate majors were math and English. And I knew I didn't want to do English because you know, where's the money in that? Yeah. I need to support myself. And I didn't want to do math because it was too fucking hard. <laughs> like all the math is just so abstract and the the theory part of it would just kick my ass. I'm really good at more like discrete math, but all the theorems and stuff, it just really threw me for a loop. And um, and a professor in the Department of Statistics at the University of Minnesota was a good family friend. I used to babysit for his kids and my mom asked him to pitch me statistics and so he did mm. and he talked about you know all the things that you could do with statistics you, it's applicable to many many industries and you can make money or you can do good things or any but of that I was like but <laughs> nope and I was like yeah, yeah yeah that sounds pretty good something where I can actually work with concrete numbers and then I started grad school and I found out that yes indeed there is applied statistics but there's also theoretical you have statistics to get through and the you have to pass both yes. and I really had a hard time in grad school and also they pitched the program as one that you didn't have to have a statistical background to go to grad school in this like it's ground up and I was like great that works for me but the problem is that ground up at a graduate level is different yeah. than ground up at undergraduate level. And I also did not know that the University of Minnesota is one of the better grad schools for statistics in the country. It's very, very well regarded. And I don't know why they let me in, but they did. And I really, really, really struggled with it like I just felt so lost all the time Ugh. and the idea of like if the professor is like any questions like I never raised my hand because my question would have been what uh? oh yeah like so many times I wanted to say okay 
can you start over from the beginning? Like <laughs> right before right, this like, class even started? Like I don't like, know. Like I don't understand about. enough to form a question mm-hmm. about what all of this and and the problem with having professors who are very highly regarded in their field is that they like to do their own thing. Like they like to use their own programming language, which is why I don't know SAS to this day. Was because I had to learn ARC. That's criminal. That was what the professor wrote. Nobody uses um, that. Uh, oh, it, it's just, ugh. And I, you know, I don't know. And then at the end of the first year, they make you take a big test to show that you've mastered the basics of this first year and you can continue on in the program. Guys, I failed it. Yeah. Like the first time in my life, I far out failed it. And if you fail it, then they'll give you a period of some months where you can study and then retake it. And I studied my ass off for this thing and I took it and I failed it again. And at that point, the professors get together and talk about you and they can either say, Nope, sorry, you're done in this program. Or they can look at your two failures comparatively and say, well, she didn't pass again, but she really improved this much from the last time. So that was what they said. Like I improved enough that they wouldn't just kick me out of the program. And I had to do a special project to prove that I understood the concepts. And it was so humiliating, you know, being the one person. And and guess what? I was the one person in my year that did not have statistical backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Like all of them had their undergraduate degrees in that. So this ground up, no experience thing is really bullshit. And it shook all of my confidence in my academic everything. Like I remember going home from that first semester full of tests and I was still living at home and like I went down into the family room and sat on the steps and just cried. Yeah. Because I knew I had failed this test. And fun fact, my family was upstairs having dinner and knew I had gotten home and nobody came down to be like, hey, Anne, how was your day? Like, I was waiting for someone mm-hmm. to come and see me in distress. <laughs> talk to me. Like, I'm sure that helps. I know. Right. The, the emotionally mature thing to do is to go up and talk to people and tell right. them that you had a terrible time. But no, no, I just wanted them to... To be concerned and come and find me, and they didn't, and that made it all worse. Sorry, Mom. (laughs) I had a very similar experience in grad school. I have an undergrad in health science. I was going for pre-med. It's very different from statistics, and I had to take some prereq classes the summer before I started grad school, but I felt lost. I felt that same lost feeling a lot, and luckily I didn't have to take a big test after the first year because I probably would have failed it too. I mean, and when, especially when you're like, I'm good at school, like I'm good at this, this is, and then you're just like, what? Like it shakes your identity because you're like, that's who I am. Exactly. And suddenly you're not anymore. Yep. 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 And, and for my undergrad work, man, being a math major, I would go into those tests and the way that these upper level math tests work is they're usually like, like five questions, five problems to solve. And they give you a packet stapled together. It's five pages, one problem per page. Yep. And I would look at the first one and be like, um, I don't know how to do that. Go to the next page. And uh, I next page, uh, next page, next page. When and I'm done. And I'm like, where I don't, I, do I don't, I don't know how to start any of these. I don't know. And I remember like 
getting a 50 on one test and Ugh. like an 87 on the next test. And was there anything that I did differently? Anything that I understood more or less? No. Yeah. It was all just seemed to be like a crapshoot for yeah. me. God, like m- math and the related arts are <laughs> really hard. Yes. Guys, I don't know. I think I should have gone into engineering, actually, because that actually is a bit more concrete. Yes. Than yeah. All of this the theoretical, theoretical shit. I don't know. So, like, I, I have felt like, and even when, so then, so then after, at the end of your second year, if you're just, quote unquote, getting your master's degree, then, you know, you have to have a thesis project, right? And I turned my okay, we'll let you stay project into a thesis project. And you have to present it to a panel of professors and everybody comes and watches and then you leave the room and they debate on whether they want to give you the degree. And when they called me back into the room, they were like, well, this wasn't the best project we've ever seen, but it was adequate. Uh, uh, (laughs) I'm like, God, these okay. people were mean, Anne. Great, thanks. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> God. Very, well, you know, there's not a lot of uh, overlap in the Venn diagram between being a good teacher and being <laughs> nope. a good statistician. <laughs> they are are not really compatible <laughs> skill sets most of the time. <laughs> but I think that's really affected how I felt about myself and that imposter syndrome. So, like, I go into my work at the university and I'm like, I, I'm a fraud. I don't know how to do anything. I barely got my degree. That like by the grace of God, here I am, and like I don't think that even what I do is all that difficult. Like if they actually paid attention to what I do, they'd be like, "Oh, that's not that hard." She's not actually. That's that good. not true. So and it's I, not I mean, hard I, for you anymore. It used to be. Probably. Well, the ma- I mean, I don't do a lot of true statistics like you do in your job it's a lot more data analysis and data management and i that's just being organized mm-hmm. yeah man yeah. hey that's it's not a, that big of a thing yeah but you know what to a lot of people it really is like there <laughs> are it's not oh. a skill that everyone has yeah yeah <laughs> okay yeah um i mean the thing is i think and as talking about this it's really like every well at least every woman uh goes through this at some point, even if you are kind of an expert, or you're really smart, or you're really charming or whatever, all of these things, it's like, we all feel like fraud sometimes. And that's comforting to me. It's like, I don't feel alone. And I really struggle with like projecting that everybody else has it perfectly. And I'm just the fuck up. But it's like, no, everybody's kind of a fuck up in some way. I don't know. I don't know if that really does it for me like my therapist has been trying to get me to think about going to like group therapy because she thinks that if I spend time with other people who have some of the same issues like they can share their experiences and then I'll feel better and I'm like no that's not what I'm looking for like I don't care that I'm a broken crayon and there's a whole bunch of other broken crayons. Yeah. Like these broken crayons can't tell me how to fix myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I can't I can't Talking to other broken crayons won't make me a not broken crayon. No, I go to therapy for advice, not for commiseration. No, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's just, I don't, ugh, I want a one-on-one deep in-depth conversation for my therapy. Like, I don't, 
Boy, that sounds just like the most terrible things. I don't care about any, how anybody else. No, feels. that's not. No, it's your therapy, and you're paying for it. Right, yeah, exactly. but like almost like, like knowing that everybody else has imposter syndrome too. It honestly doesn't help me. Um, it, what it helps me with is knowing or um that. I'm not an idiot and every other person is going through this. I think it helps me to not feel as dumb that that's personal for, to me. It makes me feel less dumb because I know that everybody else is going through this. That's valid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do. Sometimes I am more charitable to other people. Yeah, of course. Than I am to myself. I'm like, well, of course you feel that way. That's totally relatable. But, but for me, it's unacceptable. Yeah. I know. Give leeway to everyone I'm else. Actually a fraud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys don't know. I'm the fraud. Like y'all are pretending to be yep. frauds. I'm the fraud. It would be. But like, you're really competent. I am actually uh, not good at anything. I remember, like in college, where I'd be like, I totally didn't study for this test, and somebody'd be like, Yeah, me either. And then they would have actually studied, but maybe not quite as hard as they normally study. And then they get an A, and I get like a C. And I'm like, I told you, I you're lying. I like you're lying. lying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not lying. You're lying. Ugh. Anyway. All right. Well, we are a total um, not mess of a person. Each one of us yep. <laughs> got it all figured out yep. and things are going great, everybody. <laughs> that being said, the question of the week is, please, what's your tip for getting over imposter syndrome? Help us. Help. We if if our theory holds correct, you all have felt it. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. even you guys, men, even mm. if you talk confidently, we know well, that deep down you have some doubts about it. We don't mean to rag on you quite so much. It's just yeah. you're irritating sometimes. But we would like to know I mean, how did you gain that confidence that you have or yeah. how do you deal with the imposter syndrome in your life? Let us know. Please. Um, and with okay. that. Yes. I'll get us into Tishi Recommends. This is sort of a throwback one. But the other night I was like skimming around HBO Max as I want to do. And I'm looking for like a movie that I haven't seen. Like, Let's watch a movie that you haven't seen. I did watch Spotlight on Easter, though, by the way. I just want to let say, you know. This is after you watch Spotlight. <laughs> Um, yes, I did. It was great. I, cause I'm like, you know, remad at the Catholic church again. I mean, when I'm, when, I, when am I not, but the whole Maryland thing really like, I know I mean, Baltimore is late to the game on all of that. <laughs> yeah, um, so anyway, Boston I th- did it years ago. <laughs> Come on, let's get it together. Commonwealth. Um, okay. So I, um, was looking around and I had seen Michael Clayton and I have like neutral feelings about, George Clooney in that like I think he's charming like I think he's a charming guy I like watching him get interviewed I've liked some of his movies like I think he's great in Ocean's Eleven like that's a fun movie I like him Um, and Julia Roberts together yeah they're great they have lots of they are movie stars there's lots of chemistry I like it but I whatever I hadn't seen a couple like I didn't see Syriana I'm not gonna watch that like I'm not interested and I I just hadn't seen a movie in his lately of his lately but Michael Clayton I think came out in 2000. Nine, I believe it was. And I had heard some people give it good reviews. Some people didn't like it. I was like, I'll check it out. You know what? It was great. I had a great time watching it. I was like mesmerized by it. I, I, you know, it was just like, you're in the right place at the right time for a movie. It was very, you know, solving a mystery. Uh, you know, it's, it's a little hokey and sometimes, but it is a little bit 
pelican briefy, but in an Sometimes elevated, those are really satisfying. Yes, in an mm-hmm. elevated way. Um, Tilda Swinton did win Best Supporting Actress at Oscar for it, and she's great in it. She's fantastic. Anyway, I just I think it's on HBO Max still. It was just a fun thriller that I really enjoyed, and I think it was. I, can't, I feel like it wasn't that long. Like I almost wanted it to be longer. Um, anyway, I really enjoyed it. I'm going to not endorse the Super Mario Brothers movie one because it's made a shit ton of money <laughs> two because it was just fine it was literally uh, fine it was the most fine movie why fine does, TM why does Chris Pratt have to be the voice of like every Ugh. animated I don't understand it's so weird to me because I did enjoy him in the Lego movie like he's funny in that, and that's when he was more like that Chris Pratt like relatable Chris Pratt sort of you're like oh he's sort of charming in this it was like why like the He's supposed to be from Brooklyn. Like Chris Pratt is from Seattle. I know that. And you can. There's other actors that could act. And actually, mm-hmm. also, I'm sort of annoyed with the fact that because somebody brought up like it should have been the guy that voices Mario on the video games because he's like a really talented voice actor and he's been doing this for a long time. And it's like they can't. They have to somehow reason hire celebrities to movie do stars it. yeah and i'm like i don't understand why? i don't understand why, why you have to have a celebrity to do a, a voiceover because there are so many people out there who are such amazing voice actors yes because yeah, they like want the talk- star power from his name probably right but, like like the kids are gonna like, go does that, but people does are gonna that, see the does super anybody mario go brothers. yeah did anybody yeah. go see super mario because of chris pratt no, no not well, and like we've always talked about the guy that voices the Harry Potter books on Audible uh, yeah. is an amazing voice actor. Like he's like should have won oh, like an Oscar for his performance in some of those because he's he's just amazing at it. And I and I I don't really understand it. It was I mean, and half the time what I'm doing when I'm watching these movies now because I go to all the kids movies is I'm going who's that who's what voice is that who's who is that because it's always somebody it's always somebody yep. and it's just almost distracting me because i'm like oh that's seth rogan as like bowser or whatever you know it's or it's just jack black okay all right you know and then moving on it just doesn't i don't know it doesn't bring me into it at all because their <laughs> voices just overcome anyway it was fine i mean at least jack black can he was something sensibly to the character and there are other comic like um kika michael keys in that right and charlie day like three like funny guys who have some craft but chris pratt come on those cardboard those three were definitely like the best on a taylor joy well princess peach they were it was like you go mario i mean that was basically the (laughs) extent of her (laughs) dramaturgical turn and and super mario brothers but um anyway i do not endorse it but i do endorse michael clayton i enjoyed it i agree with you 100 percent about michael clayton i did see that back in the day i don't remember it all that well but i remember really enjoying it thinking that 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 was a great movie yeah so yeah it was good yep I think that means it's time to get involved. Um, Our website is thisshowhaseverything.com. Please join our Facebook group. That's where we post our question of the week and you can answer it and you can talk to each other and it's great and it's not even a dumpster fire. Nope. Um, (laughs) Not yet. Not yet. It's been a while. It's been long enough. I don't think it's going to set on fire. Uh, No, hopefully not. Um, Show Twitter, call us NPR because we're out. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> good for npr yes good for them they said fuck you elon the more big names that leave i think the better in my opinion yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep uh instead of that 
stupid website, you can email us at tsheshow at gmail.com. Um, you can record a voice memo on your phone and email it to us there, and we will play it or not if you don't want us to, but we'd love to hear your lovely voices. Um, you can also fax Bobby your butt at 617-354-8513. Our AOL keyword is Tishi, of course. Of course. Um, thank you for joining us. And that was everything about imposter syndrome. Or was it? Did we do a bad job? <laughs> oh, no. We're going to find out that we're not good at this. We're going to get fired from our podcast. <laughs> Summer went away. Still the yearning stays. I play it cool with the best of them I wait patiently, he's gonna notice me It's okay, we're the best of friends Anyway, I hear it in your voice You're smoking with your boys I touched my phone as it fits your face I didn't choose this town I dream of getting out There's just one I see the great escape, so long Daisy May, I picked the